Amen. Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, I'm so excited to introduce uh, you all today to who's going to be bringing the word for us. Um, as you know, we just uh, walked six weeks through a series we called Vitals and talked about what are some of the healthy vital signs we should see in someone who's growing in their walk with Jesus. The last couple of weeks, we have uh, focused on that a healthy disciple of Jesus is a reproducing disciple. So a disciple is a disciple maker. And then last week, Pastor DJ was talking about how if we're uh, all multiplying as disciples, inevitably a healthy church will be a multiplying church. So we we couldn't be more thrilled for what God has called us to in partnering with Jonas and Paige to see churches planted in Germany and across uh, Europe. Uh, but it's so excited today to have one of our church planting partners uh, from right here in the States. Uh, Pastor CB, come on up. As, I, as Pastor CB comes, will you welcome him to the stage here this morning? Pastor CB was with us in December, and we were told you then about the call that God has led them to, a planting uh, in downtown Denver. And I think as you hear Pastor CB bring the word today, you're going to understand how God has made him to plant a church in Denver. We're so grateful to have Pastor CB's wife, Chanel, uh, with him here this weekend. And we couldn't be more thrilled for what God has called you you to and for what God has called Beacon to. And I would just say this, um, uh, we're praying as leaders that it becomes cultural in our church that as you sit and see uh, Paige and Jonas come up uh, or you sit and hear Pastor CB bring the word, let's not assume that God's not calling you to Germany or to Denver to be a part of planting more churches. And even as I say that, you're probably thinking that's for the person next to me, but certainly not for me. We want to be a church that is always open-handed, that as we sit and listen to this message today, or as uh, you heard what Jonas and Paige are doing in Germany, that you would be open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, we just want to go wherever you want us to go and do whatever you want us to do so that you would get glory. And so I just challenge us with this. But I'll tell you what, first service walked out of here on fire this morning, and I know you're going to be blessed by the word that Pastor CB has for us. So bring us the word, man. So grateful you're here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, we, we do want you to be obedient to the call of God on your life. We try to make it as difficult as possible. So the two choices are Germany or the guy with the mullet. And I know, couldn't it be one in Louisville? Closer, easier. Um, I'm grateful to be here today. I'm super excited to share with you. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for your pastor, and I wonder if you could just help me thank God for Pastor Brock and his wife, the entire staff and family. They've been so gracious to me. I was able to visit with you all in December um, and, and learn hands-on with, with Pastor Joe and um, come see how you all do church. You may not know this, but all of us are bragging about all of you. The way that you do church is phenomenal. What you do here in this community, your growth, not just this way, but this way, is uh, an inspiration to anybody who's looking to plant a church. And when I was here in December, I was right between the phase of learning everything I needed to learn and getting ready to do the beginning of the core phase, which meant I was terrified. And so um, if, if you see me today, I want you to understand that um, the last time I was here, I was just you know, wide-eyed and, and, and shocked at what God might do. And right now, we're in a very exciting phase. Um, we've just spent the last six months growing our core team in the heart of downtown Denver. We're set to launch on September 8th and seeing great culture and great momentum. And I'm excited, especially in a city that is uh, so unchurched and so averse to the church. 
Um, when you plant a church in a city like Denver, Denver, the home of legal marijuana, um, we also just voted to make magic mushrooms legal as well because apparently nothing matters in Denver anymore. Um, Denver also has more breweries than any other city per capita. We have the largest gay pride parade in the country. Colorado is known for uh, the KKK and for uh, uh, Naropa, which is like a, a new age institute. Denver is a city on a hill, a cultural hub, a growing and vibrant city, but it's not really been known for Jesus. And so we're gonna plant a church right in the heart of it, right? Uh, amen. That's, I need like 20 of those today. Um, we are going into uncharted territory, but I'm, I'm excited because God is in it. And I'm excited to share with you um, from this word uh, a core verse, the core verse of our church, the, the, the course by which we've set the planting of this church. So let me open the Bible with you, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses, verses 14, 15, and 16, and we're going to pray. And then we're going to just listen to God today. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 14. It reads like this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you that you've walked each and every one of us into this room at this time. There's not a single mistake or coincidence in here. This was ordained. Before the world began, you called us into this room to hear from you. So, Father, remove me from this equation. Decrease me that you might increase. Speak your glorious gospel to these, your people. Open our hearts and our minds and change us so that when we leave this place, we are not the same. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm so excited. I, I got to share with uh, the first service this message, and I wasn't sure how, how it would go because I, I was here in December, and you guys are an awesome church, and I am a little rambunctious is probably the most polite way to say that. I, I was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid, and so I uh, thank God it's not um, recorded because I tend to run back and forth at a breakneck pace. So here's what I want you to do. Frame this for yourself. The French Open has been going on, and so you're watching a tennis match. Just back and forth. It's super easy right now. That game, I think the championship is right now, so you're missing it, but you're here, and we're watching the best battle between good and evil. Amen? Amen. Okay, so uh, I, I want to tell you a little bit about the mission of our church, and I want to tell you a little bit about how Jesus talks to us about the mission of us as believers. You've heard the gospel, I'm sure, and you've heard that God does this beautiful thing with us in, in terms of our identity. He makes us new, and, and, and he calls us to live in community, and then he gives us this great commission at the end of Matthew. He does all of that in verse 14 here, and it served as really a, a, a trajectory for our church on how we might live. Starts in verse 14. And he says this impossible thing. Jesus looks over this crowd assembled on this mountain, this large group of disciples. And he says, you are the light of the world. He speaks this impossible phrase into this vast and diverse cast of characters. A sentence that literally probably makes no sense to them at that time. 
In fact, it's just the next sentence in a long line of phrases that make no sense. If you know the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon of all time, that's why I figured I would preach it because I can't mess that up. Amen. And, and he starts off the sermon in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. You see, Jesus begins this conversation with his disciples with a whole litany of super weird sentences, sentences that flip everything on their head. He says, I know what you used to think about faith and about this, this relationship, top to bottom, the divine, the supernatural, holiness, righteousness. I know the way that you've been taught this before, but I want to flip it to you. If I could read the Beatitudes with you real quick, I want you to see what he says to them. He stands and he opens his mouth in verse 2, and he says to them, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he goes on, and he says, blessed are those who mourn, and the meek, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed also are the merciful, and the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are per- persecuted and insulted for my sake. He, he talks to every single one of them. He hits every person. He says, those of you who, who are struggling, you're blessed. Those of you who are, feel beaten up, you're blessed. He, th- he says, those of you who just feel like you don't fit, you're blessed. See, he stands in this crowd, and he reframes the way that they think about religion. Up until that time, most everybody believed that your, your natural circumstance were an indication of your supernatural stance, right? If you were poor, it meant that you were sinful, If you were sick, it meant that God was unhappy with you. If you were struggling, it meant you had some areas in your life that you needed to get right with God. Some of us still go, have been to a few of those churches. Amen? You're in this church because thank God it's not that kind of a church. That way of thinking that's like everything that you deal with here, that's God mad at you. Jesus walks in on the scene. He says, I know that's what you've been told. That's what you've been taught. But it, it doesn't work like that with me. I'm different. He says, no matter what you're going through, no matter who you are, no matter what your status is, you're high, you're low, saved, sanctified, struggling, addicted, divorced, failed business, got laid off, keep dropping out, dealing with secret sin. He says, I don't care who you are or what the world says. In me, everything's different. So he starts this conversation with them, and and Jesus really tells this group of disciples three things. The first thing he tells them is, is, um, hey, what I really want you to be is um, I want you to be yourself. Jesus looks him dead in the face, and he stands on this mountain, and he says, "Uh, you're you're the light of the world, and I wish I could be there. I wish. Do you read the Bible sometimes? You wish you could be like in your own imagination, like put yourself in the scene? Like, I wish I could have been there when the crowd had gathered after four days and Lazarus had been dead. And they're like, Jesus is coming, and you're like, this is going to be a disaster. Let's see what happens. And then Lazarus walks out, and you're like, Okay, so Jesus is a real deal. This is interesting. All right. I wish I could have been there when David, the young kid, gathered five small stones and began to swing them against the greatest army and soldier that the world had ever seen. And then he knocked him out. I wish I could have been there for that. Am I back on? Okay. I wish I could have been there for, for all of these scenes and this one, this one, and this moment. I wish I could have been there on that mountain. Listening to Jesus say things about us that are impossible on our own. I wish I could have been there when someone looked over and he said, you know who you are? Do you really know who you are? You are the light of the world. If it were me, I would have been sitting next to a friend and I would have said like, he doesn't know my life, right? Because that's how most of us do it in church. 
The pastor speaks, he says something powerful about what God can do, this new thing that God does in our life, and, and most of us, we hear it, and we're like, that's awesome. I mean, it's not for me, but it's awesome. He doesn't know what I've been through. He doesn't know what I deal with. And yet, Jesus always says these impossible things to us. He always speaks supernatural truth that comes from the throne of grace, that speaks right to the heart of who you are, no matter who the world says that you are. So you walked in here today, divorced, single parent, felon, addicted, lonely, angry, going to do church one more time just so I can check it off the box. And Jesus stands in this room and he says, I don't care what you said you were. If you press into me, what I say about you, that's all that matters. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. He says, if any man, which man? Any man be in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. I love the way the KJV says it. So regal it. it says, behold, all things are come new, are become new. Here's the deal. In Christ Jesus, when you press in, when you seek his face, when you fall down at that altar of grace and you ask him for real change, it says anyone, anyone, anyone in this room here today, if you've suffered enough, if you're desperate enough, if you're finally done with your own devices and living the way that you've lived and, and managing things and controlling things and worrying and anxious, when you finally get to that place when you can rush down to his presence and to his feet and you can say, I'm done, I want to change, I want to, he says, any man, if I'm in them, they're new. It doesn't say any man when they come to Christ, when they find and trust Jesus as the Lord of their life. It doesn't say that you're amended, changed, kind of different, fixed, adjusted. It says old you is dead. Another core verse of our church, Galatians 2.20, I love this one. He says, Paul says, um, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When Paul talks about this new thing, this who I am in Christ thing, he uses this, this metaphor of Christ's journey of death and resurrection. He doesn't say, I'm dead. He says, I've been crucified. Using the picture of Christ on the cross, the crucifixion, the most shameful and disastrous thing that could happen, this embarrassing and humiliating thing. When Paul says, I've been crucified, he says, you know old me, who I used to be, the thing that I used to think was so great? Because remember, he was a Pharisee, and he, he was also Greek, and he also had Roman citizenship. So he was kind of the important person of the day. He could go anywhere he wanted and do anything he wanted. He had it going on. And he said, the beautiful thing is that when I met Christ, all of that got to die off of me. And the man that I am now today is even better. And that's the thing that Jesus wants to do through your life. So when he looks at you and he says, be yourself, he says, don't be who they say you are. If it doesn't align with the word of God, it's not who you are. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Paul later on says, even in all these things, we are more than conquerors. You see, I came here today to tell you that there's a picture of you that plays on a screen in heaven. 
There's a name for you written on a tablet in heaven. There's an identity that Christ sees you and God sees through the blood of Christ as he looks down from heaven to earth and he sees you. And when Christ is in you, the you that he sees is so unlike the you that the world sees. So Jesus' first thing that he says to the disciples, the thing he says to us today is, be yourself. Be who I made you. Be the conqueror that you are. Be the light of the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In Colossians 1, 27, we're reminded it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see, what we get to do in this thing, this thing called our faith, this Christianity, is that we, we get to invite the King of kings and the Lord of lords to live inside of us, to change us from the outside. How much? All the way, all the way, all the way changed. You're in here and you're like, yeah, cool, that's awesome, CB. Right? I hear it all the time. But you don't know me, I'm super different. I'm terminally unique. I don't fit in anywhere I go. I barely fit in in church and they have to love me. <laughs> I totally get it. I've been there before too. Like, some of us, we just, if we're on it, we look at ourselves and our life, our history. Even our current status, our appearance, the way we think, it's just different, right? And the enemy will lie to you. He'll tell you all the times those things, they make you so unique and so different that you, you don't even belong here. This is just not your place. I want, I want to tell you that diversity and your difference, that's, that's God's design. It's the perfect way he made you. The thing that makes you feel like you stand out in the crowd is actually what God uses to make you outstanding amongst his people. That's the thing. You are unique and perfectly made. The Bible says that we are his workmanship. What that means is that when he finished in this creation of you and me together, he stood back. There's not a single person in here. When he finished making you, he was like, eh, all right, it'll do. It's not the way it works. When God makes you, he stands back and he goes, oh, done it again. My heavens, look at me. Peter, this one's even better than you are. Every single one of you, that's the way he looks at you. Every single day, you wake up and he goes, oh, I did it again. Here's another great day for me to shine my light through them. Be yourself. Be who you are. Don't let the labels and the roles of this world cloud who you see yourself in the mirror. I wish I could show you who you are. This beautiful picture. But here's the deal. Um, you can't be yourself by yourself. You just can't do it. You meet people all the time, right? They're Christians, or they, they say they love the Lord, and, and yet they also don't do church. Have you met them, right? Like, I read my Bible all the time. I just, I don't do church. Can I tell you today, if that's you, stop it. Come to church. The development of you the, the refining of your fire, the way that God makes you shine the light that you are, the the thing that he uses so that you can become who you are is the community. That's why he says the second thing. Be yourself and then be together. He points as he stands on this hill, the Sermon on the Mount. Many scholars believe that as he's teaching this message and the people are assembled on the hill, he points across the valley to another town that's nestled on a hill to illustrate to them that no matter where you are in the valley, you can't miss that thing. It's a lit. It's a loft. And every part of it is visible. He says you're supposed to be like that in a community, a city, in fact, is the metaphor he uses to try to illustrate to us that each one of us plays a part. We're supposed to be together. 
Some of us work in this area, others in another. Paul used the phrase one body, Christ is the head, each one of us, many members working together to become one thing, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Here's the thing I want you to understand is that here in this room, in this church, in this environment, this is the one place where you can actually become who you're called to be. Now, you can try every single day by yourself outside of the walls of the church, capital C. Not just this place, but amongst these people in your small group and in this community, the people that you know that you can call on. This is the one place that's uniquely situated so that you get to be who you're called to be. Why? How do I know? It's because this is the place that was set before eternal time for you to have one mission and one mind. Let me show you something in Acts chapter 2. In, in the early days, days of planting our church, and the last sort of six months as I'm gathering a core group and, and, um, and painting a picture for them of what it means to be a, a new church, we have this beautifully diverse group of people. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. It's called the Fellowship of the Believers. I read it to us almost every time we meet together. You, you should see our core group. We have um, about 15 to 20 people people who are dreamers, meaning they were born in another country and their parents came over. And every one of them is fighting diligently for their citizenship, and they are amazing. We have about five or ten young men who are uh, ex-cons and felons, a few ankle bracelets in the room from time to time, and they are amazing. We have people who've been wondering about their sexuality and trying to figure out that journey, and they just keep pressing into God, and they are amazing. We have old folks and young folks. Our average age is about 25. So pray for our tithing in Jesus' name. And, and I want you to know, <laughs> each one of them is amazing. And when you bring together a vast and, and diverse group of people, as Jesus does on the Sermon on the Mount, and as we're doing in downtown Denver, planting this church, it's important that you understand what's so unique about the church. You see, it's unlike anything that you ever have been or will be a part of. It's not like your job. It's not like school. It's not like a civic organization. This is better than your best friends and those of you who go hunting together. It's better than your cross-stitch group or your reading buddies. The church is the one place that God has created to change the world. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves this is the disciples. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any would have need. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. This is a picture of the first church. The first church after the day of Pentecost, when the, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, as they were gathered together in prayer. Isn't it funny that the Holy Spirit fell when they were in prayer and not when someone was preaching? Come on. And we'd like to think it was all the preaching. Amen. And Peter did preach under the unction of the Holy Spirit. But today, if you don't know, today is actually Pentecost Sunday. It's been 50 days and since the resurrection. And today is the day that we remember the falling of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what happens is that when the believers are gathered together, 
and the Holy Spirit dwells amongst them. And the Bible says, and they're committed to the teaching and to breaking bread, to gathering together in small groups and to praying with one another. Having everything in common, everything in common. It says having everything in common. What does that mean? It means the main things. It means they have one God and one mission and one heart and one mind and moving together so that they can grow together. Three things happen amongst this body of believers. Three things that happen that are unique to the church. Three things that, can I tell you, you won't find anywhere else in the world. The first one is that awe fell among them. The Bible says is that when they were gathered together and committed to one another, awe fell amongst them. It means that every time they gathered together, that God did something in and through their lives together that showed them a greater facet of his identity and inspired them to be better. You know what this is like when you find out that someone in your church has been struggling and someone else helped them out with a big gift financially or helped them move in or helped them get on their feet. You hear that story and you're like, what? I am not a good Christian. Holy smokes, that was amazing. You hear that, right? You see when people work together and they do amazing things in this body. Or you meet somebody who started coming to this church, and if you're being clear, like they wouldn't have the best life ever. But fast forward six, nine, 12 months, and here you are, and you see them, and they're completely different, and it inspires you. You're like, man, this God thing is real. Like he's changing people. Or maybe it's you. Like maybe you came into this church, and you were broken. And if you could step outside yourself and look at old you from the first day you came and then look at you now, I wish that you could also experience the same awe that we get when we see you. This is the place, this is the place where awe is an everyday occurrence. Just the church. Two other things happen, and it's unique to us. It's unique to the body of believers. That's why we're called to gather together. It says signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Expectation for miracle. It means this, the place, the church. This is where salvation happens. This is where deliverance happens. This is where healing happens. This is where bondages are broken. This is where captives are set free. This is where lives are changed and restored and renewed, and the impossible is made possible. It happens in the church. It happens right here. It doesn't happen anywhere else. You don't show up to work and you're like, can't wait for a miracle today. Many of you are like, it'll be a miracle if I stay on the job today. You don't happen like that. It doesn't, miracles are not commonplace. You don't show up at the gas station just waiting for something wonderful, right? Although I will tell you, my wife and I came in yesterday, and whenever we travel, you know, we always forget something, right? So we, we stayed at the Hilton, and we went, walked over to the Kroger to get a few toiletries. And um, something wonderful happened at Kroger. Did you know you have a clothing store in your grocery store? That's wonderful. Now, I didn't come in expecting it, but I can tell you right now that a sign and a wonder occurred in there. I've never seen that before. Just in Denver, that's like super, I was awkward. But we shopped. Amen. So it happens from time to time, but this place, the church, this is where it's meant to happen. In this room, amongst the people on your row, look to your left and look to your right. Is there someone in your row that doesn't look like you? Perfect. That's a wonder. Because did you know that we only really technically, typically gather with the people that look, talk, and act just like us? Did you know that your most comfortable place, the box that you love to put yourself in, is amongst people who look just like you, have the same interests as you, and then you look down this row and you're like, that ain't them. It's the church. That's a wonder. 
And if you would gather together, if you would reach over and you would be like this fellowship of the believers, which is when you have lack and I have need, we connect and fill the gap. When you're struggling and I'm up, I'm here to help. So that when I'm down, you can pick me up. And so that when I'm living outside of my calling, you can grab me by the face and say, you're far greater than that. And I aim to help you push that forward. This is the place. See, you can't be yourself by yourself. You be yourself when you are together with other people in this place. The third and, fi- third and final thing that Jesus tells them in this moment that's so important, and I think perhaps it's maybe the biggest obstacle for most of us Christians, is that you know when you walk in and you're broken and you're desperate and you find him, and then you're convinced that you can be something that he says you are, and then you finally get comfortable enough to join a small group, amen, and then you get comfortable enough to stay Christian and only Christian here. Like you're super holy on Sunday, but your coworkers don't even know anything about this journey of your faith. Jesus said it's, it's good to be yourself. And it's best to be yourself together. But if you're only who I said you are in these four walls then you're not even it at all. See, he wants you to be yourself and he wants you to be together, but more importantly, all of those things he wants you to do so that you can be seen in the world. This thing, this eternal change in your heart, this faith, this transformation that he did, this all things are new that's you now, it's not just meant for you. Can I push you? It's not even meant for you even a little bit. I mean, kind of, yeah, but guess what? Like the transformation that God wants to do in your life, only the first week is for you. (laughs) Everything else is for everyone else. God changed you so that you can change other people, so that you can share this glorious gospel with other people. He made you to be light, to reflect light, so that people living in dark would see him through you. That's the way and the reason he does this thing. I want to read that text for you in verse 14 and 15 and 16. The way that he says it is, is so perfect. In verse 15, I lost my place. There we are. He says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Verse 15, he, 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 man, he just, he just calls us out as a church. He says, what would be the point of you coming here on Sunday and getting filled with the Holy? Why would you ever do this if you think it's so awesome to hear Brock preach and be transformed? And then when someone cuts you off on the 465, And you definitely don't go to church in that moment. I mean, you told them they were number one, but not the way you were meant to say it. He said, what's the point? Why would I ever want to do that for you so that you just kept this thing for me? When he calls the disciples for the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples. It's the same thing he calls you. He says, go tell people. That's why, that's why Brock says, a sign of your maturation as a, as a disciple is to reproduce other disciples. That's the whole thing. It's to share. And you say, CB, I get it, man. I've heard it before, but I don't know how to do that. I tell you, you're not all called to be preachers. Amen? Amen. But you are all called to share the gospel. 
That's why he uses the term witnesses. Witness, like very simple, like on a witness stand at a trial, and they ask you, so what, what have you seen? See, you don't have to be super holy and high in the way that you evangelize to other people. In fact, most people, especially in Denver, they don't like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, people, if you walk right, most people, if you walk right up to them and you're like, you know, you've got some unrepentant sin in your life and the Lord wants to set you free right now, they're never going to talk to you ever again, right? But the way that we're supposed to do this is to share our faith based on what we've experienced, what you've been through. You're a witness so that when someone asks you, let's say you go to the pharmacy to pick up your prescription and the pharmacist says, how are you doing? And you're honest. I'm okay. We're praying. God's got this. That says far more than anything else. You see, you, you show your, your greatest faith in your most difficult times. You show the greatest power when you're most transparent. You reach the most people when you're just totally real and honest. And so the best part is that there's some things in your life that you think make you unique, make you disqualified, make it so that you're not called to do this thing. And Jesus says, no, that's the thing. I made you that way. And I allowed everything in your life to get you to the place that you're at right now so that you could share with everyone else what you've been through. Paul writes one of the most famous phrases when it comes to sharing our gospel. Romans 1, 16. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to all that would believe. So let me challenge you here today. You're here. And you're a frequent attender, faithful member. You're in a small group. You lead a small group. You volunteer and you serve. And I want to ask you, how many people who don't go to this church know how on fire you are from God? How many people at your job, at your school, that you run into, know that you are deeply in love with a Savior who's changing you from the inside out? And if the question is few, then I need to ask you, are you unashamed like we're supposed to be unashamed? I didn't say perfect or articulate. I said not ashamed. That's your challenge today. He changed you. He fixed you. He renewed you for a purpose. You are somebody with purpose, for a purpose. It was all done on purpose, and that's to share this gospel with the world. When we started this church, um, I, was really, uh, I was really praying that, that God would get me out of it. Amen? Um, same thing. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with the greatest end of his mission, and he prays this pure, gentle prayer to the Father. He says, if there's any way that you can take this cup away from me. And um, one of the things I always tell the young people when they think they're called into ministry is I say, if you've, if you've argued with it <laughs> and prayed it away and run from it and fought it and it's still there, you're called. And there was a moment seven years ago, a man said, I think you're called to plant a church. And I was like, that is the dumb, oh, that's right. No, I'm definitely called to plant a church. Like, naturally, it made no sense, but supernaturally, it just captivated me. Two years ago, God gave us a vision for our church, a vision for a pastor who is totally disqualified to do something absolutely amazing. You see, I was raised in a great family and. um when I went to college, I just became the guy who made all the wrong choices. Like, I never went through anything bad. I didn't struggle. I wasn't, like, I didn't suffer. I just did everything wrong on purpose. Like, I just was a bad guy. I just made bad choices because I was like, why not? 
and it caught up to me. I got married. I got two degrees. I had two kids at the end. I fell into an addiction, a 15-year addiction that towards the very end was five years of daily crystal meth use. I spent almost $50,000 my last year on crystal meth. I was high all day, every single day. I lost that wife and those kids and my job and my house and my car and everything. And when God gave me a vision to plant a church, I retold that story to him because you know how you do that, right? When God says, do something amazing, and you're like, well, here's all the reasons why you're wrong. And he said, "Um, that's why it's you. I said, no, 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 see, I only know how to make bad choices. And he said, I know, that's why it's you. I said, no, I'm terminally unique. I will never do this well. He said, I know, that's why it's you, but I will. See, you're here today. You're just like me. You could think of a million reasons why you're not the light. Why he says you're the light, but when it comes to you, it's probably never going to be bright enough. You can't share this gospel. You can't be this thing. You'll try, and hopefully things will get a little bit better, but there's a few things in your life you can't get rid of, a few things that you can't change. Like your finances will be okay, but your relationships are bad. Or you know what? You, you tithe well, and you've got some healthy relationships, but you're still secretly gambling. Or you know what? You've gotten rid of every vice in your life, but you've put up walls because you've been so hurt and so bitter. And God, you can do everything, but you can't do that. You've got a few reasons that God can't make you what Paul says, a totally new creation. Here's what I want to do to tell you today. Not only can he do everything to change everything and make you brand new, but everything you think disqualifies you is the thing he's going to use to propel you to change the world around you. It was on purpose. There were no mistakes. You didn't fall down and God was like, geez, this guy is a disaster. You didn't make another mistake, and he was like, daughter, why do you keep doing that? You see, he was there when you made the choice, and he was there with the repercussions. And that's why the Bible says that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Because he says, if you just keep pressing in me, every time you fall down, I'm going to get my glory out of that thing. In fact, I'll use that thing to change the world. You're in here, and you struggle. He's called you to people with the same struggle. You're in here and you feel like a failure. Guess what? He's called you to speak life to people who feel like failures. He said, CB, you're called to plant a church. And I was like, impossible. And he's like, I know. That's why I'm going to do it. My mother named me Brandon. It means beacon. My dad only called me Charles, which means man. And I lived as a man my whole life until one day I was totally broken. And I said, God, what do you want this church to be? And he told me this story. In the early days of earth exploration, when mariners would set sail to find new land, they would often find new land on accident and not on purpose. They would wreck their ships on the shore of new coasts. And in an effort to make sure that the following ships coming behind him didn't suffer the same fate, what they would do is take that shipwreck, all of the dreams and all of the hopes that they had had now dashed and spread out on a beach in what looks like an insurmountable obstacle of failure and a testament to their own demise. And they would gather those broken pieces and carry them up the mountain to the highest point on the island. And they would rebuild those pieces into a tower and set it on fire. And that light that was burning out of their own failure would serve as a signal to the mariners to come that said, this way home. 
We're not the way, but we know the way. And here's the way. And when God said, I want you to build your church full of a bunch of people just like you, and our church is all made out of shipwrecks. Each one of us walked in looking at our own disastrous life and said, well, you know, I tried. And we've gathered our pieces and we've brought them to the top of the hill, Denver, Colorado, the Mile High City, and we just decided we would set them on fire. And it's not unique to us. In fact, that's what Jesus says for all of us as believers. He says, are you poor? Are you meek? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you persecuted for my sake? Are you up or down? Have you struggled? Is your, marked, is your life marked by failure or mistake? Yes, guess what? You, come bring that to me. Bring it to the altar. I'm willing to take every last broken shard of your life, and if you'll just build it, I'll light you up. He calls you to be the light in your environment, to be the light in your neighborhood, be the light amongst your friends. Jesus wants them to meet him, and guess what? He chose you to do it. There's a, there's a few people that you know right now. There is no one else he wants to talk them to, talk to them through, or reach them through other than you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. You're the light. And that's the mission today. Three things I want to leave you with. Number one, be yourself. Be who God called you to be. Be together. Come into this place. Gather together as the church. Allow this group, this family to refine you, to change you. And then when you leave this place, let the world know who he is. That's our identity. This is our community, and that's our mission. Don't you dare be filled today and appear empty when you leave. Be the light. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I want to speak to this room right now because I feel like there's a few people who wandered into this place and you're like, I'm, I'm not there yet. Maybe you're here today and you've heard this message and you're like, I don't know Jesus like that. Like, I've never experienced that. Like, I keep hearing it, but I, I didn't know that I could be completely changed. Maybe you're here and you need to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. I know this isn't something that you commonly do, but I will never leave a room without giving an opportunity for someone to say yes to Jesus because it's the best thing you ever did. Maybe you're here today and you've said yes to Jesus, but you've walked so far away. When I say be the light, all you see is darkness. I want to pray a prayer in this room today. It's not the end of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. It's the thing that opens your heart to set the stage so that you can become who he's called you to be. And I'm going to push you if you're in this room and you call yourself a Christian. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask you to repeat it with me. Even if you've said this prayer before and you're like, CB, we don't pray out loud here. We're going to do it real quick today. Amen? Because there's somebody in this room right now who's desperate to pray this prayer and they're worried that if someone hears them, they'll think differently. Can we be the body together? I'm going to pray this prayer of salvation. And if you want Jesus to change you from the inside out, I want you to pray. And we will pray with you. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I make mistakes and I've fallen short. I need forgiveness. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. He died on a cross, took my sin and my shame, and he rose again so that I might live. Jesus, be Lord of my life. 
And today I declare, I am brand new and I am the light. Amen. Harvest, thank you so much. I love you.